Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here on this Maundy Thursday evening. This is something we have been looking forward to for a long time. So we're uh, very glad that you could uh, join us, that you could be here uh, for this time of uh, learning, celebration, uh, fellowship together. You know, we started the week with Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as our King, the Lord Jesus, rode into Jerusalem uh, for that final time. And we know Hosanna changes to crucify him just a few hours from now uh, during this last week of Jesus' life and earthly ministry um, as he hangs on that tree. But then we know Hosanna goes all the way to hallelujah in just a few days with the empty tomb. But on that Thursday night, on Maundy Thursday, Jesus spent some extra time with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem. And right after the one who would betray him, Judas Iscariot, leaves their company, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. A new commandment I give you. And that's where we get that mondi language in, in Latin. That's a mandate, a command. A new command I give you. Love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And a few minutes before, Jesus had shown them what this love looks like. He gave them a picture of it as he disrobed, took the most humble position before them, washing their feet. Love looks like service, sacrifice, even unto death. So it's a beautiful summary of all that the law requires, a law that is fulfilled in Jesus himself. Um, and just before that, Jesus celebrated a meal with his disciples. And tonight we're going to learn more about that meal uh, during this Passover time. And uh, to, to share with us and to help us understand that a little bit better, we are very grateful uh, that Pastor Stephen Atkinson uh, is with us. Uh, Stephen uh, lives in the northwest uh, part of Arkansas. Uh, he's a teaching elder in the Covenant Presbytery, but he is also the director of Christian Witness to Israel here in North America. Uh, Stephen has worked with CWI for, for many years, and you're going to find out in just a few seconds that he did not grow up across the street here as an Arkansan. Um, but he is, uh, <laughs> uh, but we're very thankful he's here. Because of that role, he travels extensively. In fact, he's just returned from a trip uh, to the Northeast, so uh, I'm glad he's sitting down now. I'm thankful that he can even be upright uh, here with us. So uh, we, we conferred he was on Central Time Zone today. Uh, when he came in. So, brother, we are so thankful that you've made this uh, trip uh, to share with us. We're grateful for your ministry. Uh, let's pray together. Our great God and King, we praise you for this day. You are our creator. You are the sustainer of all life. And you are the one who has made us for your glory. Lord, we have no desire in ourselves to do this, but you have come to our rescue. We know no greater love than the love you have shown to us in going to that cross, giving your life, taking the punishment that we deserve upon yourself, that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free and live for you and worship you as you've made us to do. Lord, we thank you for your life and the example of humble service and love that you've shown. And now, Lord, we are grateful for this, this time to learn more of the history and the context of what has taken place um, so many years ago, uh, what, is, what is celebrated amongst the Jewish community now. Um, Lord, increase our awareness and above all, deepen our love and affection for the true Passover lamb, our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. I just want to make sure the technology is working. Okay, we're good. Um, and if I get too passionate, somebody can turn the volume down. Okay, there you go. It's a joy to be with you. Yes, uh, I've just returned from uh, a two-week on-the-road trip uh, to the Northeast. 
I travel extensively for Christian Witness to Israel. Um, I travel about 40,000 miles per year by car uh, because when you can see the stuff that I carry, um, I'm not sure if United would let me on with about four baggages and yeah. So, and I'm, I'm very happy to do that. And uh, I had a super uh, visit to the Northeast. But yeah, Sunday night I was preaching in Springfield, Massachusetts. Sunday morning in Concord, Massachusetts, virtually Boston, and then a two-day drive home. Uh, so if anyone is allowed to sleep tonight, it's me. <laughs> but I'm delighted to be here. Um, we were talking about this for quite some time, so I'm, I'm delighted to just bring us to this point. If I can, uh, yeah, I live in Northwest Arkansas. I live in Rogers, Arkansas. Uh, I live in Walmart World, and... Uh, yeah, my wife uh, would love to have a Kroger. I, I believe you have a Kroger somewhere near it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit far to go for, yeah. But she would love to have a Kroger. But we have a neighborhood Walmart. We have regular Walmart. We have supersized Walmart. And we have Sam's Club. And that's what we have. And, but so this three-hour jaunt down to uh, Sherwood, down to the Little Rock area is easy for me. And I'm driving home tonight. It's nice to be driving home tonight. Um, but what I'm going to do is maybe take five or ten minutes just telling a little bit about our ministry, Christian Witness to Israel, since this is my first visit here. And then another ten minutes or so just talking through what we have very visually in front of us. Uh, so we'll not get into the booklet for maybe another 20 minutes or so. So don't worry if you're looking at it and think, he's still not got into the booklet. He's still got, to... yeah. But then we'll take about maybe 30, 40 minutes within. And if time is running away on us, we can skip over a few things as well. So that's the plan. But first of all, CWI, Christian Witness to Israel. I've been, I was a regular pastor for about 18 years of my ministry life in Northern Ireland and uh, in England. So that's where the accent is from. Um, and I've, my accent is all over the map. I was talking like a Bostonian or whatever they're called last week. Well, I'm going to Jackson next week, so I'll be, I'll be in the deep south. Then, and I'll be talking like Forrest Gump or something like that. But I, I, uh, my accent is changing, so I hope it's understandable. Um, but I've been with CWI for 14 years, um, after 18 years of regular pastoral ministry. So I've been a preacher for about 30, 30 32, 33 years. Um, but this has been the most, most encouraging, most exciting, most productive part of my ministry life. And what I do is really to try and burden the church for Jewish mission and raise up missionaries. Um, we're hoping to uh, have a missionary placed in Chicago before the end of the year. Uh, and in Pittsburgh, when I was uh, up last week, uh, I was talking with another prospective missionary. Um, our desire is worldwide to have missionaries reaching the Jewish population of the world and also to stir the church to be intentional in reaching our Jewish neighbors. And particularly here in the U.S., where 42% of the world's Jewish population live, 42% of Israel is here. So if you want to bless Israel, don't think away over there, wherever it may be. Uh, think here, because the ancient people, the people Israel, which is what we must be interested in, are here, and they're all over the U.S. I don't know what the Jewish population is of Little Rock. I should have checked that. But every major city has a Jewish population. And my desire really is to get the church mobilized to that. We began 175 years ago, uh, really out of the burden of Scottish Presbyterians like Robert Murray McShane. And McShane prayed the opening prayer at our first ever meeting in November 1842. Uh, it was that theological burden that really might be said to be in the Westminster standards and the Westminster larger catechism. Prayers were there in the 1600s for the Jewish people to be called, to be grafted in again. And our ministry really came out of that theological burden uh, that's in the scriptures, that's in our standards, 
and certainly in our history as well. There are plenty of these little booklets. Please take them freely. Um, I might as well just do the advertising as well when I'm here. But Christ in the Passover is, is uh, probably where I got most of the material here. So I'll give credit to Moish Rosen. Moish Rosen was the founder of Jews for Jesus, which is a sister uh, ministry you may have heard of. Uh, in fact, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be meeting up with the uh, leaders of Jews for Jesus and, and another uh, number of ministries in Atlanta at the end of April. Uh, but I, I value uh, that, that book highly in teaching us about Christ in the Passover. Uh, this also is our little newsletter, our worldwide newsletter, and, and we have missionaries in Israel. We have missionaries in Europe. Uh, we have missionaries, obviously, in the UK, where we began. Uh, and myself, I'm the only one in the US. We did have a guy in Miami, uh, but we had to let him go just due to support issues. Um, but I would want that repeated again. And I want another missionary and another missionary. Please pray with me for missionaries in the U.S. Uh, and for the church to be mobilized and intentional about reaching our Jewish neighbor. Um, this is just so that you have a mugshot of me and uh, the details. But also, if you haven't read it, let me give you a potted history of that little story that's there. About a year ago, I was taking part in a, in a conference in Denver, and part of the conference was to Skype a rabbi in Israel. And uh, I wasn't entirely happy with all the different things that were going on in the conference, but I was just the, the visiting speaker. I was the preacher on the Sunday. But Saturday afternoon, we Skyped this rabbi in Israel and asked the rabbi, or at least the host pastor, asked the rabbi, what, um, how should Christians stand with Israel? What should we do to stand with Israel? And the rabbi, in response, said, well, come visit the land, stand with us militarily, stand with us economically, we're your ally in the Middle East, blah, 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 but leave us alone. In other words, don't evangelize, leave us alone. And so, I was sitting right at the back of the church, and I, it came a question time, and I posed a question. And my question was simply this to the rabbi, in the light of Psalm 67, and, I, and we read it to him, I'll just read two verses, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power, your salvation, be known among all nations. And I said to him, in the light of Psalm 67, Mr. Rabbi, your ancestors were praying for my Scots-Irish Scots ancestors 3,000 years ago in Psalm 67. You were praying that my ancestors would come to know the God of Israel and his salvation. And my question was this, why didn't you leave us alone? And he hummed and had, and well, it's good that the world knows the God of Israel, it's good that the nations know the God of Israel, blah, blah, blah. And I said, thank God you didn't leave us alone. Thank God first century Jewish missionaries brought us this. This book is Jewish. The man is Jewish. The message is Jewish. The first missionaries were Jewish. They didn't leave us alone. But they brought us the message of the Messiah for all nations. And at the end of the, at the, end of the evening, I think I was maybe getting tired, and there was a panel discussion on the Saturday evening, and I, I just said, you know what I really wanted to say to Mr. Rabbi? I was going to put on a Liam Neeson voice and say, I will find you, and I will tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and, and that's our calling. They did not leave us alone. Thank God. And our calling is not to leave them alone. And I think, sadly, some tele-evangelists suggest that we should. Some tele-evangelists will say, well... The Jews all get into heaven. No, they don't. 
There is no back door into heaven. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. We must tell Jewish people about Jesus. The apostle Paul himself went to every synagogue he could find to tell his Jewish friends about Jesus. And so must we. So my burden is to get that intentionality back in the churches. And to train the churches. One of the reasons why I went up to Pittsburgh also was uh, to follow up on a weekend of meetings that I did in a, in a PCA church in Pittsburgh. It's, it's fascinating. And this is what I want to see multiplied all over this nation. City Reformed Church in Pittsburgh is church planting in Squirrel Hill. Those of you who know Pittsburgh will know Squirrel Hill is the Jewish center of Pittsburgh. So a PCA church is holding Sunday evening meetings in Squirrel Hill. The assistant pastor at the PCA church is Jewish. He's a Jewish believer. And so the Jewish believer, assistant pastor, is preaching Sunday evenings in Squirrel Hill, preaching Jesus. And they've rented a building. What building have they rented? The Jewish day school. So, Sunday evening in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, Jesus is being preached in the Jewish day school. Don't tell the rabbi. But uh, this is what I want to see. I want to see the church being intentional in reaching our Jewish neighbors. Anyways, I must, I must move on. I must move on. Let me, let me move into just telling a little bit about the, the elements of the Passover. Because this is the background to our Lord's Supper. And this is what Jesus did on the night in which he was betrayed, on that Thursday night. And in fact, we're, this is very accurate. Now, sometimes the Jewish calendar and the Christian calendar doesn't fall into place, but Passover for the Jewish people is tomorrow and Saturday. They have a two-day event. And so this is actually very appropriate for us uh, to do this tonight. What I want also you to realize is that the Jewish Passover is empty because Christ is our Passover lamb. I don't want you or, or any time I do this, I don't want people to get all ooh and ah about the Jewish stuff. Oh, it's fascinating, all that Jewish stuff. I love all that Jewish stuff. No, Jewish stuff is empty without Jesus. And I sometimes I get somewhat annoyed at, at, at some groups uh, that stress the Jewish stuff even higher than the Jesus stuff. And that's when you get it wrong. Passover, the Jewish Passover doesn't have a sacrifice. The Jewish Passover doesn't have the sacrifice we have. And the Jewish Passover certainly doesn't have the resurrection that we have. But this is so that you will see that so much of what they're going to do tomorrow night in their homes speaks of Jesus. It's, it's amazing to see how much of the symbolism of this actually points to Jesus. So it's important to know the, the roots of the Last Supper. It's important for us to walk through what Jesus did in the upper room. I want you also to remember that this is not worship this is not a worship service as such, other than I will be preaching Christ. But it's not a, this is a demonstration. Um, and it's even, it, it's not for real, let's say, in terms of a Jewish Passover, because I'm not Jewish. Um, a certain procedure might be needed for that. Um, I'll <laughs> move on swiftly. Um, we... When we do our Lord's we show forth the Lord's death till he come. A Haggadah, which is what this is called, simply means a showing forth. So that's really what the Jewish people are doing when they go through their evening in their homes and do Passover. It is, again, something we've got to kind of get our heads around because when we have our Lord's Supper, I find everyone puts on the serious face when they come to the Lord's. Everybody's very religious. We're all very, very serious, very, very reverent. Jewish Passover is a happy time. And I, I get it. No, don't misunderstand. I get it. There, there needs to be solemnity. But we need to realize that 
When we eat and drink in remembrance of him, we should do so with joy, with happiness. And the Jewish Passover is a happy family occasion. It usually lasts about three to four hours. Uh, We're not going to do that. Um, And that's why we're going to kind of cut it a little short. But that includes a meal, a full meal. I know that you're going to have some little snacks afterwards as well. So that's wonderful. But the Jewish home would have a full, large, substantial meal. Well, let me move to just some of the items that uh, I have. And you can come up afterwards and you can have a look and see the various things. But um, first item is a, a roasted egg. Roasted and uh, sm- a smoked, smoked pulled pork. No, it's not smoked pulled pork. Uh, <laughs> just keeping, making sure you're awake. A roasted smoked Egg. What does that mean? Well, it symbolizes, the roasting part symbolizes the destruction and roasting, in a sense, of the temple. Um, It's blackened uh, to represent the temple being destroyed in AD 70. You remember Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. The reason Jewish people don't have sacrifices today is they can't sacrifice. They don't have a temple to sacrifice. And so the egg will remind them, and the, and the blackened egg will remind them of their temple that was destroyed. It's hard as well. It's hard boiled or hard roasted. Also symbolizes the hardness of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh's heart. You'll see a lot of these things as we proceed. Harken back to the, the, the Moses days and, and the, the freedom uh, that they uh, received uh, from the Lord's hand. So the, the hard-boiled egg or the hard-roasted egg is, is Pharaoh's hard heart. It's also roasted to represent the sacrifices in the past. So again, the sacrifices would have been roasted. And being an egg, it represents new life. So Jewish symbolism is again kind of a pick and mix. There's a, a lot of different people will say different things about, about some of the symbolism, but that's that's the egg. Then there are bitter herbs. You say herbs, we say herbs. I'm bilingual. Okay. Uh, herbs, bitter herbs, parsley, celery, lettuce, or any of those work. So they have bitter herbs to suggest uh, and represent this, the bitterness of life. And we'll come to that uh, a little later. Um, then there's some horseradish sauce, and uh, this is interesting because I grew up in Northern Ireland, and I grew up with, my, my mother was a, a great cook, but it was pretty plain stuff. It was, you know, we, we ate potatoes, it's Ireland. <laughs> well, we had more than potatoes, yeah, you can see we had more than potatoes. Uh, we had potatoes, vegetables, meat, but rarely did I remember my mother making any fancy sauces, and so when I got to my teenage years and I started to visit some of my friends and, and uh, you know, as uh, various uh, delicacies were coming into Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s, and uh, I started to love all these sauces. And I remember visiting a friend's house and he said, have you ever had horseradish sauce? And I said, no, no, but I love these sauces. And so I put a huge dollop of the horseradish sauce onto my meat and, yeah, well... <laughs> You understand what happened, and uh, the horseradish sauce is, is, is for that very purpose. It's to bring forth the tears, and again, that'll come uh, in a moment. Then, I think you've got some made as well. Some of the ladies will have already done it, but I have some haraseth. Haraseth is kind of a nut-apple-honey mix, and that represents the mortar of the bricks, And it also represents, because of the bitter herbs, you've got the sweetness. So you've got the bitterness of slavery, and you've got the sweetness of deliverance and freedom. And so that, again, will come forth as we proceed. Then there's the lamb bone. And uh, when I was in Pittsburgh, I stayed over with a, um, a Jewish believer, and he remembers when he was growing up, uh, that when they didn't have a lamb bone, they used a pork chop. <laughs> and I was saying, brother, that's, no, <laughs> it just doesn't work. A lot of Judaism today is very liberal. 
And it, they, they do take, you know, it's, don't assume that Jewish people are all the men in black. You know, don't assume that they're all very, very strict and religious. There's 57 varieties and, and all, all kinds of shades in between. Um, and then we have, uh, we have the cup. We will have four cups of wine. Well, it's Chateau de Welsh. Um, <laughs> Four cups of wine. If I had four cups of wine, I wouldn't be driving home tonight. <laughs> but they will use the authentic stuff. Again, it lasts over it's three to four hours. Uh, so they will be drinking that. But the rabbis say that it is okay to get a little shicker. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a joyous occasion. Wine, wine gladdens the heart. In the Jewish home, it's okay to get a little shicker on the wine. Um, there is another cup over there, that's called the fifth cup, and that's Elijah's cup. Elijah always has a place at the Passover meal. In every Jewish home, they will set an extra place for Elijah, because before Messiah comes, the Jewish people are expecting Elijah to come, and he just might come to our Passover table. And so they always set out an extra place for Elijah. We'll talk about that a little later as well. And then I have the matzah, the matzah tash, which has three compartments to it and three pieces of the matzah. The matzah is unleavened bread, like a wafer. And again, interesting that the matzah that the Jewish people use, as you will see, it's pierced, and striped. Hmm. wonder what that might remind you of. I wonder what that might remind them of. But every Jewish piece of matzah has all the piercings and the stripes. And even the tash, why do they have three? Well, there are a lot of Jewish traditions. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, tradition. A lot of Jewish traditions have no idea why they do it. And some of the Jewish traditions are actually Christian. Now, why do I say that? Go right back to the first century. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church was Jewish. The first believers were Jewish believers. He came to his own, his own received him not. Yes, the crowd said, crucify. And I don't want to criticize, brother, but it might have been another crowd that said Hosanna, and another cried that said crucify. Because very soon after his resurrection, there were hundreds, soon thousands of Jewish believers. Think on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. There were thousands. By the time of Acts 8, I think, they reckon, the scholars will reckon there were about 20,000 Jewish believers by the time of Acts 8. So, Yes, Jesus was rejected by his own, and he was put to death because the authorities um, handed him over to the Romans. I remember my colleague um, in England, married to a Jewish believer. He was preaching in a Baptist church in England. His wife was sitting down in the congregation, and he, uh, a lady sat down next to his wife. A church lady sat down next to his wife, gave her a nudge, and said, the Jews killed Jesus, you know. How to win friends and influence people, yes. And the Jews killed Jesus. And, and Rita, who's the Jewish believer, she said, you know, that's really fascinating because I always thought it was the Italians. <laughs> Who killed Jesus? Roman cross? Roman soldiers? Roman nails? Roman governor? The Jewish leaders, with the help of wicked men, says the scriptures. And actually, in fact, that little phrase, wicked men, really means goyim, really means unclean Gentiles. So the Jewish leaders, with the help of the Gentiles, put him to death. Don't let it ever be said that the Jews killed Jesus. <laughs> it was the Italians after all. <laughs> So there are the elements, basically, of the, uh, 
of the meal. I wanna, I'll say a few more things as we proceed through, but that's, that's enough really for now. Um, one other little thing, on the night before Passover, so basically last night or tonight in the Jewish household, there is the preparation for Passover. And they do that by, uh, first of all, searching for leaven. In other words, the house has got to be clean of all leaven. Leaven represents sin. And so the house has got to be cleaned of all leaven. And they will actually, a little game for the kids in the Jewish household, they'll hide a little bit of the leavened bread. They'll hide a little bit of cake or bread. Uh, and they'll, uh, the kids will go on a search around the house, a little hide-and-seek on the night before, and then they'll find the leavened bread, and they'll put it in a napkin, and they will burn it as they symbolically rid the house of all leaven. And the kids will get washed, they will get uh, clean clothes, there will be the cleaning of the uh, of the household. You know, it's, it's interesting because whenever the apostle says, as we come to the Lord's table, he says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat. It's the same kind of thing. There is the examining of the house. There is the clearing of the house. As we come to the Lord's table, there should be a self-search Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So the leaven, last bit of it, is burned. And uh, then they move on. So we're right up to almost, almost to the first page. And I've gone a little further than uh, in the time. But I will make it up. No worries. Um, now I'm going to ask Katie to come and do what the lady of the house does. And the lady of the house, you know, again, sometimes we think of Jewish society as being a very patriarchal society. The Jewish mother, if mama ain't happy, <laughs> the Jewish mother rules the house. So the Jewish mother has a very important task to do at Passover. She has to light the Passover candles and uh, say the, the opening words of prayer, which are not on your sheet. Uh, we have a spare copy of a different Haggadah uh, that uh, Katie is going to read. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival light. And again, in the Jewish household, there is that sense of by the woman the light of the world came. The promise was to Eve that she would give forth, give birth to a man. And in fact, when she did give birth, she thought that was it. But of course, God had other plans. But there was that sense even that the light of the world comes by the woman. Okay, let's move swiftly on. I think we're now at page one. <laughs> um, I'll read maybe just, uh, I'll read our way through. Um, the Passover, Pesach, begins every year on the eve of the 14th of Nisan, first month of the Jewish New Year. Uh, Jewish actually have two New Years, and that's, I thought it was only the Irish that had strange stuff, but the Jewish have two New Years, uh, one in the spring and one in the fall. But on the uh, first month of the Jewish Religious New Year is 14th, uh, 14th of Nisan, Passover begins. It lasts for eight days, and it commences with this. Uh, in the Jewish home, Hamat's leaven is not to be eaten and not to be kept. So that's why they've cleaned the home. And the first two days and the last two days are treated as a Shabbat, uh, in which no work is done. The festival celebrates the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So all our children will remember the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. And all of this is just retelling that story. And of course, the New Testament writers see Jesus as a new and greater Moses and his death as a sacrifice to redeem his people from their sins. In three and a half thousand years since the first Passover, observance of the festival has changed. Um, we can't actually do a Jewish Passover as it was originally um, because we don't, we don't sacrifice. Uh, but today there is uh, 
a lot of similarity with what went on. And there's some variations in different parts of the world. But what we're going to do this evening uh, is pretty much in accord with a Jewish Passover, although I'll be presenting, obviously, a Christian overtones to it. Um, move swiftly down. The Passover Seder is a multi-sensory teaching experience to uh, inculcate the meaning of the Exodus in the hearts and minds of Jewish people through sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. This Haggadah uh, is an abridged version of the traditional Orthodox form used among the Ashkenazi. That's the Northern European, Southern European Sephardic Jews. We all thought the Jews were all the same. They're not. There's a ton of different views and a ton of different uh, kinds of Jewish people. Um, the Northern European Jews are called Ashkenazi. And uh, again, the doing of this is to, for us to gain a better impression, a better understanding of the Lord's Supper. And also, as I've said, so that you will see our Jewish friends who are on this piece of dirt with us, that they do not have the Passover lamb that we have. And we will want to pray for them. And we will want to intelligently uh, witness to them. Well, let me move into the, the first page. I'll have to get my chateau. <laughs> and again, this is only symbolic, so I'll only be taking a little sip. Um, And if you want to join with me in the Hebrew, feel very welcome. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Borei Pri Hagefen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all peoples and exalted us from among the nations by making us holy with his commandments, and who in love gave us the festive seasons. And... I'll just sit. Then there is a, a washing of hands. And if I can, I don't know if you've got Bibles with you or, or they're available, um, but I will be referencing just a few verses as we proceed through. But John 13, John 13 brings us to the upper room. And uh, you've already had that reference to you in the opening. John 13 and verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, rose from this, and he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it round his waist, poured water in a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. Well, in a Jewish Passover, Jesus did something different because what happens here is that there is a ceremonial cleansing, a ceremonial dipping of the hands and washing. Then we have the eating of the carpus, the so the reason I got celery is I don't like parsley. <laughs> or rather, the reason I got lettuce, rather, or celery. Um, and it's put into, actually, I've, yeah, I used the wrong water from my hands. The salt water. The salt water is what it's dipped into. So you have the bitter herbs and the salt. And the salt water represents tears, represents the crossing of uh, the Red Sea. And uh, the bitter herbs represents, again, uh, the slavery Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the earth. I did mention the, the matzah and the fact that we have three. Again, in Jewish tradition... There's different views as to why there are three pieces of matzah uh, in, in the matzah tash and three compartments. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I don't really know why. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
not in a Jewish household. <laughs> but, but, you know, what I wanted to say, and I think I, I went off on a tangent earlier, but think of the early church as being Jewish. Think of the early church as meeting in the synagogue. Think of the early Jewish believers as just being followers of the way and Jesus folks in the synagogue for the first 20, 30, 40 years. Christianity was Jewish, who believed in Jews, who believed in Jesus. And the suggestion is that there were a lot of traditions that were put into the Passover that were actually Christian. Jewish believers in Jesus put in some practices that the Jewish people today maybe don't know where the practices came from. And so, the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, maybe, I don't know. But the middle matzah is the one that is broken. And again, interestingly enough, if we think of our Lord breaking the middle matzah, what happens in the Jewish Passover is that the middle matzah is taken from the matzah tash and put into another bag. And this is called the afikomen bag. And if you can read your Hebrew, there you go. It's, I'll, I'll test your pastor later. Um, that's the afikomen bag. What happens is that this is taken away and hidden for three hours for the length of time of the meal. And uh, we'll come to that maybe a, a little later. But it is called the afikomen. Keep that in your mind. Um, so let's, uh, let's come to that a little later. Now I need to... I'm, I'm working with about three different sheets of paper here. That's why I'm looking at all these different notes that I've got. Right, we're at number five, the Passover story. Um, so the matzah, this is the bread of affliction which our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, let them come and eat. All who are needy, let them come and eat the Passover with us. Does that remind you of something? Does it remind you of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life? Does it remind you of him breaking it and saying, this is my body, which is broken for you? It's, a, it's an interesting and, and fascinating subject. And sometimes we can get a little too mystical, so please uh, don't just go down a rabbit trail. But Hebrew words all have numbers associated with them. And the Hebrew word chai, which is the word for life, chlechayim, to life. The Hebrew word chai um, has a numerical value of 18. Now, I am told that bread rises in the Middle East at 18 minutes. In other words, the unleavened bread is until 18 Kosher bread is always baked at less than 18. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of chai. And he broke and he gave it to his disciples. It's an interesting aside. Maybe it doesn't have a lot of meaning, but um, it is, again, mindful of us that Jesus was Jewish and his disciples would have understood some of the significance, maybe a little more than we would. So we fill the second cup. We'll pretend that the second cup has been filled. And uh, at this point, I've got another helper, Gabe. You're going to come and ask me four very difficult questions. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. I hope I've got the answers. Mr. Atkinson, I have a few questions for you. So, why is this night different from all other nights? You got to go all three, all four first. Sorry about that. that no, that's fine. I only want to give one answer. <laughs> on all other nights, we eat either leavened bread or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat herbs of any kind. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we do not dip our herbs even once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat our meals in any manner. 
Why on this night do we sit around the table together in a reclining position? And so the father answers the question. And again, it's, it's good for us to realize that it, in the Jewish household, as in, a, in all our households, it is the responsibility of the parents to teach their kids, and to teach their kids particularly spiritual things, and to teach them about the Passover in the Jewish household. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord our God brought us out from there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Now, if God had not brought out our forefathers from Egypt, then even we, our children, and our children's children, might still have been enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. Therefore, even were we all wise, all men of understanding, and even if we were all old and well-learned in the Torah, it would still be our duty to tell the story of the departure from Egypt. And the more one tells of the departure from Egypt, the more he is to be praised. Our fathers went down into Egypt with only 70 persons, and there we became a great nation. But the Egyptians ill-treated us, afflicted us, and laid heavy bondage upon us. So we cried unto the Lord our God, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our burden and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth from Egypt with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders." And this next part is a very, um, very visible aspect in which the celebrant, the father of the household, dips his finger in the cup and sprinkles a drop of wine onto the plate as he recites, or indeed as everyone recites, blood, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, Boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the slaying of the firstborn. Again, remember that our Lord did this on the night in which he was betrayed. It's a very somber part of the evening. As I said earlier, it's, very, uh, it's a happy occasion, but that certainly uh, is a somber time when they remember the various plagues that the Lord God brought upon hardened Pharaoh. And so then we move to a happier time. And uh, I remember doing this Passover in a church in um, Galway in Ireland. And uh, as I was uh, doing it, I was going to quickly pass over this part, the Dayenu. Um, and it, it's a song, it's a chorus that they sing. And uh, I had a Jewish believer in the back of the congregation who said, no, we're not going to pass over it, we're going to sing it. Nobody knew it, but he started to sing it. So I don't know if you've got the music, but I'm going to uh, sing just a little bit and play just a little bit. And uh, this, is, this is the instrumental interlude. <laughs> Basically, the story of this is, is very simple. It's like about 23 verses of a chorus. You, you thought the charismatics all had the 23-verse chorus? The Jewish people had it first. <laughs> this is basically the, the, the story is, if the Lord had done this for us, that would be wonderful. But the Lord did this, and he did this, and he did this. If the Lord had done all of this for us, it would have been wonderful. But he did all of this. If the Lord had done all of this, but he did so much more. And, and the story is, um, it would have been enough. Oh, let me see if I can remember how this goes. Yelo hatsi hatsi ano hatsi ano me mitzrayim me mitzrayim hatsi ano deyeno dae daeyeno dae daeyeno dae daeyeno 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 dae Why is nobody joining in with me? Dae daeyeno dae daeyeno dae daeyeno 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 that's enough for that. <laughs> that goes on for about another 20 verses, or yeah, um, in Hebrew. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the story, where again, they are mindful 
of the Lord's glorious generosity uh, deliverance to them. Uh, let me move on. Okay, we're past the Dayenu. Then up on top of page five. Rabban Gamaliel. Now, let's pause there again. The Apostle Paul was a student of Rabban Gamaliel. So just keep that in your head as well. Rabban Gamaliel used to say, whoever does not explain the following three symbols at the Seder on Passover has not fulfilled his duty. The Passover offering, the matzah, the bitter herbs. The Passover offering, which our fathers ate in temple days, what was the reason for it? It was that the Holy One, blessed be he, he passed over the houses of our forefathers in Egypt. The matzah that we eat, what is the reason for it? It is because there was not enough time for the dough of our ancestors to become leavened before the ruler of all, the Holy One, blessed be he, revealed himself to them and redeemed them. These bitter herbs which we eat, what is their meaning? They are eaten to recall that the Egyptians embittered the lives of our forefathers in Egypt. And then this next paragraph I think is very interesting because in one sense Jewish religion is a corporate religion. Jewish people don't find it uh, very important to be precise in what you believe. But they are very precise in making sure you belong. In other words, Christianity is very much, well, what do you believe about this? What do you believe? For Jewish people, do you belong to the Jewish community? That's more important. The community is, is the big thing. But here we find that it's a very personal thing as well. In every generation, one must look upon himself as if he personally had come out of Egypt. He brought us out from there that he might lead us to and give us the land which he pledged to our forefathers. Therefore, it is our duty to thank and to praise in song and in prayer, to glorify and extol him who performed all these wonders for our forefathers and for us. He brought us from slavery to freedom, from anguish to joy, from sorrow to festivity, from darkness to great light. Therefore, let us sing before him a new song. Hallelujah. And that's exactly where they go to, because they go to the Hallelujah Psalms. From, verse, or from Psalm 113 and 114. Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to skip over maybe a, a little bit um, of this, but just a couple of verses from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Again, think Jesus. Think Jesus in the upper room. Think Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Think Jesus saying, from the rising of the sun to the setting as it would not have been, the Lord's name is to be praised. Blessed art thou, King, the eternal our God, King of the universe, who redeemed us and redeemed our forefathers from Egypt and hath brought us to this night to eat matzah and bitter herbs. Blessed art thou, o Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And again, the ceremonial washing of the hands. Then we come to the matzah. And uh, I do think this is a, probably one of the most interesting parts of the whole uh, event. Because we take the matzah, I'll just take a little bit of this, but it becomes like a little bit of a matzah sandwich. So there's a bit from the lower and the upper uh, matzah. And then the bitter herbs, the bitter herbs are dipped in the charaseth, and that's the sweet mix, and that also is eaten. And then the bitter herbs and the matzah uh, is eaten, but it's not the sweet mix, it's the horseradish mix, so I need to be careful with the horseradish mix. But why do I stress this one? Because this is the point at which Judas went out. 
When Jesus gave Judas this, he went out. Question is, and it's really an open question, did Judas eat it? If he did eat it, and the horseradish did its work, Judas went out with tears in his eyes. But they were fabricated tears. They weren't real tears. But it's just, again, it's an interesting point to remember when Judas went out. It may have been with some tears in his eyes. Then we eat the meal. Is the meal ready? No, I'm kidding. And uh, after the meal, of course, you have dessert. And here comes the dessert. It's the afikomen. I prefer brownies myself, but <laughs> the dessert is a wafer. <laughs> but that's the dessert. That is the afikomen. And in fact, some of the traditions um, have it that you put the one back to the other, and I've already taken some off that. But the two are made one again. Some of the traditions is the verification of the afikomen. In other words, it is brought back, it is placed together as if one again. Now, again, why do I stress that? Well, the afikomen is a post-Second Temple tradition. In other words, it comes after A.D. 70. It may have been the Christian Jews who put it into the Passover. We're not sure. But wouldn't it be interesting, because this afikomen... We're not really sure what it means, but it has something to do with he who is coming again. That's what the word means. So what has happened? The middle matzah was broken. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm, Well, mm. the middle matzah is broken. It's put in a napkin. It's hidden. It's taken away for three hours while they have the meal. And then it's brought back. And he is shown to be one. The pierced and striped one. Does this not speak to us of Jesus? The afikomen. Indeed, some of the second century Christian writings um, mention Jesus as our afikomen. But the Jewish people will do that tomorrow night. They will have their afikomen. Third cup, the cup of redemption. This is Jesus' cup. This is where in our Lord's Supper where Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This, this is the point. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And the third cup is uh, drunk. And a fourth is poured. And then I'm going to ask Gabe to help me again. Forgot to tell you this. Well, you've got to go and open that door and see if you see an old man with a beard. Okay? Can you go out and just have a look outside? See if you see some old guy with a beard and see if his name's Elijah. You know, I once did this in Kansas and the little boy went outside and he looked. He says, there's a ton of guys with beards out there. (laughs) Nobody there? Okay. Nobody there. Because Elijah has come. And Jesus said, Elijah has come. And Elijah was John the Baptist. And he was the forerunner that came before Jesus. But in every Jewish household, they'll do that tomorrow night. They'll open the door. They'll look down the street to see if an old bearded guy comes. Well, let me uh, move on. Psalm 115. Well, again, we'll not... uh, read all the psalms because our time is is, is uh, running away from us but remember you know we read in the scriptures after they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives they didn't sing a hymn they didn't have our hymn book <laughs> they had the psalter and the psalms that they sung were these songs so i just want to focus in on a few verses and think of our lord jesus on the night in which he was betrayed reading rather singing some of these verses. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 116, 
from verse 12. Again, think Jesus saying these, singing this. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Think Jesus saying these words, singing these words on the night in which he was betrayed. And yes, he also sang for the nations. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations. So yeah, they didn't leave us alone. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And then Psalm 118, and I think this is really the crucial point. These are the final words that our Lord sang in the upper room. Psalm 118, um, just a few verses, 6 and 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And then verse 22 to 24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When I was doing that Passover in Galway some years ago, and there was a Jewish guy, he's actually an RP pastor uh, from Canada, and he was visiting in Ireland, and uh, I, I've known him for a number of years. But at this point, uh, he said, can I, can I say a few words? And I said, please, brother, come up. And he opened up this verse in a way that I had I, never seen before in 30 years of ministry. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus said, This is the day the Lord has made. You see, by now it's dark. When does the Jewish day begin? It begins at evening. Genesis 1, it was evening and morning the first day. It was evening and morning the second day. The Jewish, the Hebrew day begins at evening. So Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, it's now the new day. And he says, this is the day. What's going to happen in the next 24 hours? He's going to go. He's going to be, tri he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be killed. He's going to be buried. And he says, this is it. From all eternity, this is it. Jesus is singing on the night in which he was betrayed. This is the day. And so when we come to rejoice this night and Easter Sunday, we rejoice in this 24 hours that the Lord did for us, even as he sang those very words. Well, we really need to proceed on through uh, Psalm 136. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. And uh, let, me, let me just go right through to the, to the last page. And uh, we'll, we'll wind things up. The fourth cup, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then at this point, as I said uh, to your pastor earlier, at this point they pray for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. We're not going to pray for that. Because... We want to pray for the rebuilding of the Lord's temple in their hearts. We want to pray for Jewish people to come to know the Lord. We want to pray, even as the apostle said in Romans 11, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so we're really going to conclude at this point uh, with a prayer and uh, then just a final sentence or two and we're done. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that through Christ we can come and address you as Father. We thank you that you did not leave us alone, but rather from first century missionaries 
and 20, 21st century missionaries, we have heard the message of the Jewish Messiah that Christ is our Passover lamb. We thank you for the things that we have heard and seen and even smelt in the, these visual reminders of the Lord's death till he come. We thank you that he is our Afikomen. He is the one who is coming again. And so as we see these things by your grace, we pray for our Jewish neighbors that you would take the veil from their eyes, that even at this Passover time, as they see the pierced and striped matzah, as they think, even in this uh, Christian context in which they live, may the, the witness to Christ, which is all around us, we may lament at times it is not better than it, is, than it is. But we thank you that our Jewish neighbors have heard of his name. May we never leave them alone, but rather be much in prayer and in our witness to tell Jewish people about their Messiah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that you have not left them alone either. And in your word, you promise to graft in again the natural branches. Bless us and other ministries and other churches that are seeking intentionally to reach the Jewish neighbors that you have providentially placed on our doorstep here. Hear us, help, and glorify your name in our midst. Through Christ we pray. Amen. And it is the Passover Seder according to the custom, statute, and law. As we were worthy to celebrate it this year, so may we perform it in future years. O pure one in heaven above, restore the congregation of Israel in thy love, and speedily lead thy redeemed people to Zion in joy. Next year in Jerusalem. That's how it always ends. Thank you so much.